Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for March 7th, 2018. On today's show, in the news, we'll be talking about John Boyega's Star Wars Future, a home improvement reboot, Michael Bay's next films, Christopher Nolan on Black Panther, and before that, we'll get into the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and I am joined by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Okay, guys, before we get into the news, let's uh, – actually, before we get to the water cooler, uh, I did want to mention that yesterday we were talking about – was it yesterday or the day before? We were talking about Fast and the Furious and Rob Cohen's claim that the first film is the favorite of all the fans – um, and we kind of mock that. Uh, a couple readers wrote in uh, saying it was their favorite. And by a couple, I mean two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a literal couple. Yeah, a literal couple. Uh, one of them put a a poll up on his uh, Twitter page basically being like, Slash Film says that people don't like the first one uh, best. Do you like the first one best? And like, obviously, you know all his friends voted yes uh i i looked at his uh poll and it looked like a, a lot of his people voted no <laughs> he was like well, the yeah. first one is my favorite or i like one of the other ones i think was one of his options and i like one of the other ones was the winner of of his own poll oh was it winning at the time yeah. i looked uh the first one was best but it was also the way he presented it was like do you agree with me or do you agree with them and it was right. like this is the most unscientific poll ever so i decided to go on twitter and uh, put my own poll up asking which is your favorite movie in the Fast and Furious franchise. The options were Fast and Furious 1, Tokyo Drift, Fast 5, or one of the other sequels, which included 2, 4, 6, or 7. Somehow I forgot to include 8, but I don't think anybody mind. Uh, anyways, but uh, the results of the poll are not surprising. 53% of the almost 1,000 people that voted said Fast 5 was their favorite and uh the second uh was other one of the other sequels was 17 percent. the third was 16 percent for fast one and only 14 percent for tokyo drift which i'm surprised because a lot of the people in my um close social circles uh kind of like 
love Tokyo Drift, so I'm, I'm surprised that that didn't get that much love. But um, I think this does prove that most fast, most fans of this franchise, uh, Fast and Furious One is not their favorite film. Uh, but anyways, I, I don't want to belabor this. Uh, but um, you know, it's funny. Sometimes we say stuff on this podcast. I, I say a lot of stupid things, and sometimes it gets you know uh, reader outrage in the emails and the the Twitter comments. Other times, you know, I'll say something like, you know, Sacramento is a horrible place and not get one single <laughs> bit of feedback <laughs> aside from my girlfriend who lived there for a brief period of time. Uh, and uh, it's just amazing what some people are outraged about and what people are not outraged about because, you know, <laughs> filling 35 minutes uh, five days a week, we, we tend to say a lot of stupid things. <laughs> uh, or at least I just tend to say a lot of stupid things. But anyways, uh, why don't you guys join me over here by the virtual water cooler and let's talk about what we've been up to. Uh, Brad, what have you been up to? Well, uh, I've had my eye on a certain uh, set of collectibles for a while, but it always I always prevent myself from biting the bullet because they're it's probably one of the more expensive uh, items that I would have ever bought. Um and it's a Ghostbusters figure, but it's like one of those high-end, six-scale, Hot Toys-style figures. It's from a company called Blitzway, and they released a whole set of figures of all four of the original Ghostbusters. And I finally bought one. Um, it was shortly after my birthday, and I was feeling saucy. So I bought uh, Vankman, and I am so glad I did. It's what It's probably like one of the coolest figures that I've, I've ever seen the so would you compare uh, this to like like a hot toys figure yeah absolutely it's it's the same kind of quality um it it might it, it's uh the the sculpt on bill murray's face is amazing uh the the suit sometimes like cloth clothes for these kinds of figures don't look that great but the stitching on the ghostbuster suit is perfect like it, it just looks awesome the accessories are really cool uh, it's insanely detailed, and like I'm definitely gonna have to buy the other three now. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's such a cool figure. I'm I'm so glad I bought it. Um, are you are you gonna buy the rest of them? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm gonna try and buy one maybe like uh, every other month or something like that, so I can like save a little bit to get one because they cost about three hundred dollars each. Um, so it's it's a pretty salty price tag, and then. I feel like if I get all four, then that kind of forces my hand to maybe try and save to get the uh, the Ecto one that is to scale for the figures, which is uh, it was at Comic Con last year. Yeah, um, I, I remember I brought you over to the booth and we were like staring at this. Yeah, it is it, like, it's gorgeous. It's massive. Like I don't yeah. know where would you even put this thing in your. <laughs> It's. I, I looked up the dimensions, and it's only about. I say only, like, you know, lightly, but it's it's about seventeen inches wide. So it's big, but it's not like it couldn't fit like on top of a shelf somewhere or something like that. Um, like I have a a few sets of those cube shelves from IKEA, and those are uh, wider than that. So it'll it, it'll it would fit on there um, just fine, but it's it's still going to take up a good amount of space. <laughs> See, I I've been tempted by hut toys is uh back to the future delorean which is not quite as big as the ecto-1 because ecto-1 is a longer vehicle than the two-seater that is the uh 
DeLorean time machine. Um, but I have resisted because of, well, it's expensive, number one. And number two, uh, you know, I just don't know where I'm going to put it. But uh, I also have been waiting for the Back to the Future Part 2 DeLorean because, you know, I that, even though, you know, Back to the Future Part 1 is my favorite film of all time, the Back to the Future 2 DeLorean is the cooler DeLorean, without a doubt, right? Like, it flies and has the uh, flux capacitor. I mean, the, uh, sorry, Mr. Fusion. Uh, I almost lost my uh, Back to the Future cred there for a second. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure if it's sold well enough because I we have not heard about this Back to the Future 2 DeLorean in, in, a, in a few years now. So <laughs> maybe I'll just have to settle for the Back to the Future Part 1 DeLorean. But uh, what have I been up to? Uh, I, last night, I got to finally see uh, Ava's A Wrinkle in Time, uh, the Disney adaptation. Uh, ben briefly spoke about it last week on the podcast. Uh, guys, this, this movie's kind of a mess. <laughs> it's kind of a disaster. Uh, my girlfriend said it was one of the worst movies she's ever seen. Whoa! Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. I did not think it was that bad. Um, uh, I tweeted immediately following the screening that, uh, it was a big, bold, beautiful mess. Uh, I admire what it's trying to do in its le- a level of sincerity. Uh, but the source material is clearly tough to adapt. The script is not good at all. Uh, but I, I, you got to give Ava credit for swinging for the fences. Uh, hopefully next time she has a better script. Uh, you know, I was talking to some people about it and, I think I feel, even though I love, um, I'm about to compare it to another film, not to say it's on the same level as that film, but I'm just trying to give you an idea of like, uh, how I feel about this movie. Like this, this other film I'm about to mention before I mention it, uh, I like a lot more. It's a film I actually, you know, will rewatch, uh, and I won't rewatch Wrinkle in Time, but uh, the film I'm going to mention is Cloud Atlas from the Wachowskis. I think mm-hmm. I feel a similar way uh, about that because you can feel in that movie their love and their like you know swinging for the fences, trying to do something bold and interesting, and it's not quite always successful, and it is kind of like this spectacular mess at times. Uh, I think that movie, it, as I said, is much better than Wrinkle in Time. But uh, I, I, I think that's my best way of explaining this because I know a lot of people out there are like kind of giving critics crap for, uh, oh, you can't just say it's a bad movie. I'm, I'm telling you, it's a bad movie. <laughs> okay? Don't go see the movie. But uh, it isn't just like, you know, a cynically made, uh, you know, Hollywood adaptation. It's not, you know, uh, M. Night's The Last Airbender. You know what I mean? It it like you feel there's some there's some greatness in it, and there's some uh, you feel the love in it, and you feel the intentions, and like it has some good stuff about it. The the, the main character, is, as uh, Ben said, uh, the actress is 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 great. She's gonna be one to watch uh, for uh, years to come. But uh, but yeah, I would not recommend uh, seeing this movie in theaters. So. Peter, just real quick to follow up on that and to follow up on my own comments from last week. I've been thinking about this movie a lot, and I think uh, I would also recommend not seeing it if I'm just talking to a single person who, you know, loves movies and, um, you know, goes and sees a lot of a lot of movies. If you're if you're out there and you're like thinking about, oh, should I go check this out? And it's just you. I would say probably not. But if you have 
a family, especially with young kids. I think that's really who the movie is meant for. And I would say, yeah, like suck it up. And the movie is not great, but I think your kids are going to get a lot more out of it than you will, if that makes any sense. Yes, it's just, um, I don't know. I'm curious to see what Ava does next. Uh, which, speaking of, uh, Ben, uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, predicted uh, because Ava was not going to be doing one-on-one interviews at the uh, Wrinkle in Time junket, that this might mean that she is up for one of the new Star Wars movies. Uh, it was a good theory. You know, not to have critics <laughs> ask her about that. It turns out that probably they didn't want critics asking her about it because of uh, the movie was bad. But uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, today she actually responded to a fan asking her if she wants to direct a Star Wars movie. Brad, what do we know? Yeah, so she's been a favorite to direct a Star Wars movie, as many fans have been wanting Star Wars to have some a more diverse slate of filmmakers. So far, all of the people they've hired to write and direct upcoming Star Wars movies uh, have been white dudes, and fans have just been wanting to see a little bit more uh, spreading of the wealth, if you will. Um, so Ava DuVernay has been one of the favorites to direct one for a while, especially because, um, on the commentary track for Star Wars, the force awakens, JJ Abrams revealed that it was her idea to include that really cool close-up shot of Ray, uh, when she's fighting with Kylo Ren, uh, in the forest with lightsabers, where she takes a moment and like feels the force and, you know, you just kind of see the glowing colors on each of their faces as the snow hits their face and sparks are flying from their lightsaber um, so she she has a knack for directing movies like that and creating moments within them. So a lot of fans have wanted to see what she can do behind the camera with a movie like Star Wars. But uh, a fan on Twitter uh, said something to that regard that they wanted her to um, take on a Star Wars movie. But she explicitly says, Star Wars is not for me. Uh, but she was very happy that this particular fan enjoyed A Wrinkle in Time. So it uh, seems like she's counting herself out from directing Star Wars. Maybe doesn't have an interest in taking it on. Too big of a challenge. Too much pressure. Who who knows what it is? You know, every director has their movies that they want to direct first that they have more interest in. Maybe there's something she's more passionate about. Uh, you know, maybe she doesn't want to feel like she has to fit into a mold that Lucasfilm already has in mind. Especially knowing uh, how much trouble they've had holding on to directors uh, in the past or clashing with them creatively. So, uh, or, or, or the cynical side of me says maybe Disney doesn't want to work with her again. <laughs> I mean, that's also true. Um, now, now, I'm just presenting an option here. I'm not saying I believe that or have heard that. <laughs> no, for sure. That's I mean, that's, def- that's definitely an option. Um, you know, and you know, you know, kind of like when you're in um, in grade school. And your friend was like, do you want to go out with Sally? And just because, you know, Sally's good looking and you're like, she would never go out with me. I'm like, no, I have no interest in Sally. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm okay. not sure I, I, tra- I, tra- I track your metaphor, but. <laughs> I don't know what kind of grade school you were going to, Peter, and what you're know. doing there. But I think I probably would have gone out with Sally. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm at, saying. At, the, one, at, at I'm, the very least, you'd have gotten the street cred so you could uh, then go out with Nancy. Well, no, I'm saying one of your friends goes to you and ask. Never mind. Okay, this, this, <laughs> this metaphor is just falling off the rails. Uh, okay, well, w- we do have this article on the site from Lindsay Romain, uh, and she basically gives uh, her opinion. It's a soapbox article on why it's a good thing that Ava isn't doing Star Wars. Uh, you know, 
I was going to have Brad uh, tell us why, but you know what? I, I just want you guys to go to the site uh, and read for yourself uh, Lindsay's uh, article, which is uh, well-written. Uh, but let's move on. Uh, you know, in the water cooler, we didn't ask Ben what he was up to. Uh, ben, from what I hear, you saw Pacific Rim 2? Yes, that's correct. Pacific Rim Uprising, it comes out later this month, and I'm not allowed to talk about it, but I did see it. Wait, okay, so I... w- wink twice if it was good. <laughs> I love this because we're <laughs> all three of us are on Skype in different locations, so even if I do wink, it's yeah. not like we're sitting in the same recording studio. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm winking all over the place, Peter, and you can't see anything. Yeah, well, there's no video conference on this Skype call. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, interesting. Um, we'll have to wait and find out if this movie is good. Uh, what did you talk to John Boyega about? Yeah, so I had a chance to speak with um, Stephen DeKnight, who uh, wrote and or co-wrote and directed the movie, and John Boyega. And I had to get a couple Star Wars questions in there for Boyega. So why don't we just go ahead and play that interview clip right now? Star Wars: The Last Jedi. It sees Finn basically go from somebody who's running away to like a resistance leader. Mm-hmm. Han Solo, you mentioned, uh, became a general when he stopped running in mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi. Have mm-hmm. you talked to JJ? Can you tease the next step for Finn, the next evolution of that I character? I really don't know, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and meet him on my trip here to LA before I leave to China, um, just to talk him through, like, talk, talk, lot of him to talk me through exactly what his plans are and stuff because i'm so intrigued to hear yeah what he wants to do cool um all right i have one more star wars question oh. uh the force awakens did not feature a romantic relationship between finn and ray and i think people love that mm-hmm. and but it seems like those same fans now really really want to see finn in a romance whether it's with ray or rose or oh, poe oh true back on anyone guys are going savage <laughs> Why do you think that is? And and who would you like to see Finn end up with, if anyone? Because Finn, Finn is the one character for me that has a relationship, a distinct, unique relationship with everybody. He had this kind of banterous relationship with Han. Mm-hmm. Then he has this loving relationship with Rey. Now with Rose, it feels like, you know, he has this great relationship. Um, personally, Rey. Yeah? Yeah. I think people will probably Ray. be happy to hear you say yeah, that. Right. So I had no idea that there were Finn Chewbacca shippers out there, but this is Star Wars, so of course there are. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, Ray. I mean, John Boyega. This obviously he hasn't spoken to Abrams yet, so this is not uh, him bringing any sort of uh, inside info in there. It's just John Boyega's personal preference. But it's interesting that he would want his character to end up with Ray. Uh, what do you guys think about that, um, Brad? Do you have any thoughts? Uh, I mean, that's probably who I'd want to end up with. So more power to John Boyega for feeling that way because uh, Ray is super cool. She can use the force. Um, and Daisy Ridley is just adorable. So, you know, I'm all for it. You know, I, I second what uh, Brad is saying here. But one of the things I loved about Force Awakens is that there wasn't kind of like this romantic subplot. And I feel like that was so great about it. And... I don't understand why all these fans really want that kind of like us to fall back on those kind of uh, traditional just like, you know, why not just why? Why can't we have the Star Wars trilogy without a romantic subplot? Obviously, Last Jedi Rose had a crush on Finn and kissed him. Doesn't mean they're going to end up together. Uh, And if you if you aren't going to if you are going to do a romantic subplot, do something new, interesting and different. I vote for Poe or Chewbacca. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I I would kind of like to see Ray not get involved in any sort of romantic relationship because I think she probably doesn't need it as a character, at least not with what we've seen of her so far. Maybe the the third film in the trilogy will uh, give her a reason to um, get emotionally involved with somebody like that. But um, but I, I think it's easy to understand why people want uh, these characters to hook up because audiences have been conditioned to expect love stories like this to be woven throughout big blockbusters. So, I mean, it's not an unreasonable thing for people to uh, to come to that conclusion and, and want to see something like that. It's just... Yeah, I'm sort of with you, Peter. I feel like maybe they could do something to switch it up a little bit. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. There is talk of a home improvement reboot. Uh, you know, they've been rebooting all these uh, television series like Roseanne recently we've been talking about. Uh, Tim Allen reveals that a home improvement reboot has been floated around. Brad, what do we know? What? That's what we know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, um, Tim Allen was interviewed recently by Entertainment Tonight uh, because the trailer for Roseanne, as we know, recently debuted during the Oscars. Uh, we talked about it on a previous episode of the show. And so Tim Allen was asked whether or not there's been interest in bringing back Home Improvement since that was another beloved ABC sitcom uh, that, that fans quite adored when it was on in its heyday during the 90s, which was pretty much Tim Allen's heyday, too. Um, and he said that the the prospect has been floated, but it also sounds like that maybe not everybody would be back for it. So maybe it's been discussed, but there are certain people who m- might not be interested in coming back, uh, whereas with Roseanne, the entire cast was able to come back to be in this new series, including uh, Sarah Chalk, who ended up replacing the uh, the previous actress who played uh, Roseanne's daughter, uh, Becky, on the show. But in this case, it sounds like there might be some holdouts, which wouldn't be entirely surprising um, because... Because Jonathan she... Taylor Thomas is so busy these days. No, I, well, actually, fun, Jonathan Taylor Thomas would definitely do it because, <laughs> uh, funnily enough, he and Patricia Richardson, who played uh, Tim Allen's wife, Jill, on the show... They actually guest starred on Tim Allen's uh, previously canceled series, Last Man Standing, on ABC back in 2015. So I'm sure they'd be down for it since they were up for doing uh, an episode of his other show. I think that the two holdouts are uh, likely either Zachary Ty Bryan, who played the oldest son, Brad, or Taryn Noah Smith, who played the youngest son, Mark. Zachary Ty Bryan maybe would do it because uh, he hasn't really done any TV since 2009, but apparently he just acted in some Adi Shankar project called Gods and Secrets. I don't even know what the hell that is. Um, but then Taron Noah Smith hasn't acted at all since Home Improvement, and he even had some like controversy with him after the show where he sued his parents to get control of his trust fund, and then he apparently uh, was going to marry a 33-year-old vegan chef when he was only 17. So he hasn't had the best options uh, as far as his living situation is concerned after Home Improvement. And the last uh, anyone heard it was when they did like one of these where are they now scenarios for like a a Home Improvement anniversary thing was that he was living uh, on a sailboat somewhere off the coast of California. So he might be the one holdout. But who knows at this point? Uh, As of now, the the prospect of it happening is just merely an idea. So we'll we'll see if it ever actually happens. And the actor that played Wilson is is been dead, right? 
Yeah, he passed away back in 2003, so if the show did come back, uh, that's one character that they wouldn't bring back. Uh, I imagine they'd probably do some kind of tribute to him, maybe have uh, you know, his son living next door or something like that. Yeah, you can't see his face because of the fence. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure they could do something with the wall because uh, t- Tim <laughs> is, uh, is is a Trump guy. Uh, and we, we, could, we could do something political there. I'm, I'm wondering if you guys, did either of you watch Home Improvement? Yeah, actually, I loved Home Improvement when it was on in its heyday. It was, it was one of my favorite shows. I, I liked uh, Tim Allen at the time, and it was... Uh, you know, it was one of the most popular sitcoms at the time, so it was definitely one that that I enjoyed when I was uh, younger in the '90s. Yeah, I was a big fan of it as well. But I caught a couple reruns on TV recently, and that is a show that does not really hold up very well, especially looking at it through. I mean, you know, it's it's sort of unfair to judge things uh, through a modern lens of you know where we are societally and culturally and all that but uh i don't know if they brought it back they would definitely have to update the show's sexual politics because it is uh i mean it's pretty retrograde in a lot of in a lot of ways like i wonder if i would want to see a home improvement reboot because i i also watched it when it was on tv but i feel like um I don't know. Like, I feel like, you know, uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor is very much kind of like a middle America type guy. And we're kind of like living in a time where uh, you would have to kind of bring the politics of that into the sitcom. And I don't think I, I want to watch a sitcom with with those kind of politics. Uh, Brad, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much on the same page. Uh I never watched uh, Last Man Standing, but um, apparently his character on that show was uh, very much a uh, conservative American, and there was co- constantly uh, making jokes about Obama and Democrats and Obamacare and all this. Um, but like, it wasn't necessarily just preaching to the choir because uh, it, it did allow for like some kind of equal representation because both his wife and his daughter were more liberal. So it was just kind of, I think it was trying to give the conservative crowd something to enjoy in kind of a lighthearted manner, even though it was it was still kind of, you know, politically crit- critical at the time. And like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a tough line to draw because Hollywood is so liberal in general. So most of the jokes that get made politically are at the expense of conservatives. But there are conservative audiences out there and there are conservative people that aren't racist bigots and jerks and, and, and assholes that, you know, also like humor as well and, you know, poke fun at, at the, the left side, too. So um, the, I suppose the show, you could say, is harmless enough. You know, like I, I read some stuff about it and like the jokes and things that were on there. But it's it's tough to, to be on that side of the aisle with the political climate today. Um, and I don't know if I feel like if Home Improvement came back, that Tim Allen might try and shoehorn in some of those politics into uh, into that show. Chris Nolan recently gave his uh, what he thought about Black Panther. Brad, can you tell us about it? Does that apply here? <laughs> no. no, no, it doesn't. Oh, oh no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, as we know, the... I, I, I hope to God that doesn't come back. And in, in, uh, that in Arsenio, uh, what, what do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're fair, we're Tim, over it. Tim Allen. Tim Allen did have another signature sound that was a ha 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 ha, so we could do that. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> anyway, uh, Wait, we all know it, the Oscars it, happened. You, you are a stand-up weekend. guy. It does. Does Tim Allen still do that in his stand-up act? 
I oh gosh, I don't even know. I I haven't even I've, I've never seen Tim Allen do stand up since like the '90s, and even then it was only ever on TV. So I I don't know. I mean, I imagine maybe he does it just as like a throwback kind of thing, you know. Um, but man, but, by the way, it, it, to take a side track, I know I am. Uh, I was watching the Nice Guys at a press screening before the Nice Guys came out, and it's set in what the 1970s in LA. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at one point in the background, you see the comedy store and there's a uh, marquee that says Tim Allen's performing. And after the movie, I go to some one of the other critics like, oh, my God, like they, they, they have a huge mess up in this movie. Uh, Tim Allen, like his name is on the comedy store. And this is the 1970s. Like, Well, Tim Allen was doing comedy in 1970s. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. OK. Anyways, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so. Uh, as we all know, the Oscars were last weekend, um, and we don't have to talk about the Oscars ever again for a while now, thankfully. Except now that the uh, Get Out made such a big splash at the Oscars, apparently everyone's using that as an excuse to be like, well, since Get Out came out in February last year, we can talk about the Oscars now. And since Black Panther came out in February, everyone's already predicting and hoping that it'll get Best Picture. And adding some weight to these hopes and arguments uh, is a little director known as Christopher Nolan. Apparently, Deadline caught up with Christopher Nolan, who was just nominated for Best Director at the Academy Awards for Dunkirk. Um, And they asked him if there were any movies that he thought had a chance at Best Picture next year that had already been released. And right away, he said Black Panther. Unfortunately, they don't have a quote beyond that. Uh, I imagine it's because Deadline was just too busy kissing ass and glad-handing at the Oscar parties afterwards to... (laughs) get any real quote from them um but it's a it's a bold prediction for sure um well okay we should mention that chris nolan is the reason why black panther could probably get a best picture nomination before the dark knight uh or the year the dark knight uh did not get nominated the oscars kind of changed their rules to allow uh more films in the best picture uh competition um not to say that that's the reason why Black Panther could be nominated, but it, it definitely gives it more of an opportunity, more of a, a superhero movie, more of an opportunity to be in there. So I guess my question to you guys, uh, because I, you know, I really liked Black Panther. Uh, it's not my favorite Marvel movie, but it's you know, it, it's very very good, and I understand why people are loving it. Uh, do you think it has the potential to win a Best Picture nomination? Man, this brings up a whole thing, and I, I feel like we could spend an entire podcast episode just talking about this, but I'm going to raise this point anyway, and maybe we can just like brush over it really quickly. But I feel like uh, Black Panther is a very good movie, but it's not the kind of movie that I would imagine winning Best Picture. I feel like the only way it would win is is if people were trying to make a statement by voting for it. And that, to me, is gets into this murky territory of uh, praising or or um, uh, talking about a movie uh, and and valuing a movie's messages over what the movie itself actually is, and this is a conversation yeah. that we were having a little bit earlier in our our Slack channel. Uh, Peter, you were pointing us to a Twitter thread you saw about this, and and I I just I hesitate to. Um, you know, I love the messages of Black Panther, but I just don't know if the filmmaking itself is, uh, you know, worthy of a Best Picture uh, title. I think a nomination would be cool 
for that movie because of what it means culturally and, and all of that stuff. But I feel like that's probably as far as it should go. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm going to get a lot of hateful feedback because of that statement. But what do you guys think about that? I mean, I feel like if Logan can't get a nomination, uh, I, I fear that a movie like Black Panther couldn't get a nomination. But again, you... Uh... <laughs> You know, this is a tough subject to talk about because uh, it, anything I say could be misconstrued. But, um, you know, the Academy a few years ago were criticized for being Oscar so white. Uh, so, yeah, there is that kind of uh, pushback from the Academy of being like, no, you know, we're, you know, we're Hollywood, we're liberal, we're diversified. And maybe that could be enough reason to push that kind of film into the nominations and i'm not saying that that's the only reason it would be there because it is a good movie uh it's just um i don't know the the academy usually just doesn't go for superhero films so i just don't i just don't see them putting it in there brad what are your thoughts yeah i'm kind of on the same page because even though black panther does have this incredible message in it and it's i think it's easily the most mature and significant story that marvel has done as far as making it uh relatable to social issues and um the world at large there there's still something about it that doesn't quite make it feel like it's best picture material to me and that, that might sound a little pompous and elitist in a way but like I, I definitely thought the dark knight was deserving at the time that it happened um but you know you we even saw with even though there's been a push for diversity and and things like that that wonder woman didn't even get a nomination this year so even diversity aside, like I feel like the Academy would just as soon go for, you know, a more prestigious, you know, typical Best Picture nominee that also displays the same kind of diversity and so- social consciousness, something like Get Out, uh, as opposed to going for uh, a blockbuster like Black Panther, because those kinds of movies rarely make it to the Best Picture anymore, you know, no matter how much uh, we'd like them to. Um, but at the same time, with the Oscars ratings being so dismal this year, you know, dropping in double digits, you know, maybe they'll, they'll they'll be looking to try and boost it a bit by getting a movie like that that people have seen that people would be well, excited to be competing at the Oscars. You know what? We we can't say that like the Academy is actually in, it has an interest in the uh, ratings for the telecast. I don't think many people that are like you know actors and filmmakers and editors probably even care about that. But um. The more I'm thinking about this, you know, I guess I was kind of trying to say that, you know, the Academy usually doesn't reward superhero films because they are not serious enough of stories. They don't have messages that are usually serious enough uh, to be kind of like lauded by the Academy. But the more I'm thinking about this, you know, Black Panther does kind of have a serious message to it um, and kind of a political message to it. So maybe that is enough. Uh, to have it uh, be considered. Yeah, if it is, it'll be the first superhero movie that's ever nominated for Best Picture. So, I, I mean, I certainly hope that it, it does. I just don't know. Like I said, I really hope it gets nominated. I just don't know if it would win. Uh, and again, it's so early in the year. We haven't even, we have no idea what the other contenders are going to be at this point. But yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous to even speculate about this at this point. Uh, but we've been doing so for the last few minutes. Uh, let's get <laughs> on to our, our last bit of news, which hit right before we were going on the air. And that is is that Michael Bay has announced his next two movies. Ben, what do we know? 
Yeah, so um, Variety reported that Michael Bay's next film will be an action movie called Six Underground that is written by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who are the writers of Deadpool and Deadpool 2. Uh, they wrote this original concept, this original uh, script on spec, and we don't know any official details about the plot, but Variety's Justin Kroll tweeted that one source just told him that Six Underground was described as The Rock meets Suicide Squad. So my guess is that means that there are six soldiers or outlaws or whatever who have to go underground to, you know, pull off some sort of heist or escape or something. Um, I, I don't really know. I mean, this sounds like a, a smaller kind of um, more personal Michael Bay movie than the uh, robot trash that he's been directing over the past decade. Um, maybe something more akin to Pain and Gain than... Transformers The Last Night, but that being said, Michael Bay is not entirely getting out of the giant robot, uh, <laughs> the giant robot genre because he's actually taken over the director's chair for Robopocalypse, which is a movie that's based on a book by Daniel H. Wilson. Uh, Drew Goddard was once writing the script and Steven Spielberg was going to direct a few years ago, but now Spielberg has stepped aside. He thought the script needed some more work, so he went on to make a bunch of other movies instead. And now Michael Bay is in talks to direct Robopocalypse and he... Um, is supposed to supposed to be doing that after Six Underground. So the the thought right now is that Six Underground is supposed to start shooting this summer and come out in the summer of 2019, and that's when Bay is going to start uh, basically just transition right into production on Robopocalypse. So uh, yeah, that movie um, is essentially just a, tells the story of a global war between man and machine. So uh, there's a lot more opportunities for him to get into that uh, that robot groove that he's been in for so long. Um, do we want to see Michael Bay do more robot movies? Not particularly for me, but uh, but I, I would like to think that maybe it would offer him the opportunity to do something that is distinct and different enough from the gnashing metal and chaotic nonsense that the Transformers franchise evolved into. Uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I guess we should also say this probably means that Michael Bay's Lobo movie <laughs> likely is not going to happen, or at least not anytime soon. Um, but Brad, do you think, uh, have you read Robopocalypse? Do you think Bay would be a good director for that project? Uh, I have not read Robopocalypse. Um, I really would just prefer not to see Michael Bay do anything, uh, involving robots at all for a while. Um, you know, I was, I was interested when Steven Spielberg was, uh, supposed to be doing it, especially with someone like Drew Goddard writing. But I mean, I don't know. <laughs> At this point, like I, I don't, I don't feel like I have any interest in what Michael Bay is doing unless it's something drastically different from what he's done before. So you know, whatever. <laughs> it's kind of weird because like Spielberg gets involved in these projects. Like he was involved in Transformers, and he kind of like loses interest, and he's like, "Here, Michael Bay, you can have my leftovers." And then Michael Bay makes billions of dollars off his leftovers. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, at Six Underground, I'm actually interested in that because I like Michael Bay's like kind of smaller films. Uh, in our in our slash film Slack channel, I put that synopsis that it's uh, kind of described as The Rock meets Suicide Squad, and uh, our own Chris Evangelista said, "Oh, that sounds awful," which I replied, "I love The Rock," and he replied, "I love The Rock too, but if you said if if you add Suicide Squad to it, it's bad. If you add Suicide Squad to anything, it's bad. The pe this pizza is delicious. Let me add some Suicide Squad to it. Ugh, never mind." 
<laughs> I thought was uh, just a, a it's perfect for, from from Chris, uh, who is often on this podcast. You've heard him. Uh, but this brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, SlashFilm.com, uh, Spotify, even YouTube. One of our listeners actually wanted us to point out that we, we do publish these podcasts to the Slash Film YouTube page. I don't think many people listen on there, uh, just you know, a few dozen, but uh, some people comment and stuff, so if you want to listen on there, you can. Uh, but yes, if you have a question, comment, concern to us, send it to peter at slashfilm.com. We do read everything. Please go rate and review the podcast on iTunes, spread the word, tell your friends, and we'll see you tomorrow.